KBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for joining us again for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Boy, I'll tell you, if you forgot when you woke up this morning that the calendar had turned one more page and it is now December 1st, all you had to do was uh, set foot outside for a moment and the weather literally across the state of Georgia would tell you that uh, winter is really upon us. Winter is coming, as the Game of Thrones said for every season uh, that it was on the air. It is on its way, and uh, today is one of the coldest days we've seen in a very long time. It's also a cold day again, I think it's fair to say, politically. Uh, A chill has descended upon the Republican Party in Georgia. The infighting is rather extraordinary. We're going to talk about it uh, on the show today with our panel. You know, as as we said really in in the headlines to the show, the president continues to cry foul about the Georgia elections. And as he does that, he is also tarring the reputations of a number of uh, state leaders, Brad Raffensberg among his targets, now Brian Kemp. Um, and there are very few Republicans coming to his defense, even with the January 5th runoff election headed our way. So we're going to talk about all that and more on the show today. Uh, We're joined, as we are on most Tuesdays, by AJC senior reporter Tamar Hallerman. Tamar, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Have you been outside? Oh, yes. I froze my buns off this morning with my dog. So winter isn't coming. Winter is here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I like the very vivid description of that. We're also joined by State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, a Democrat from uh, Decatur. Hi, Mary Margaret. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Dr. Andre Gillespie, uh, professor of political science at uh, Emory University and the director of the James Weldon Johnson Institute on the study of race is with us as well. Um, you're on winter break at this point, yes, Sandra? I hope, or do you still have classes for a couple of days? We're done with classes. Um, this is exam period now. Um, I have given my last oh. test, and I have so much to grade for the semester that it's going to take me a oh. while to get through it. Oh. Well, then I'm really grateful that you would take the time to be with us today. Thank you very much for that. We're also joined by uh, Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson, a longtime Republican insider in Georgia. Uh, He worked on the Hill for Congressman Lynn Westmoreland. He was the communications director for Governor Nathan Deal during Governor Deal's first term in office. He now has his own communications firm, does some uh, uh, consulting for Republican candidates. The firm is Robinson's Republic. Have I got that all uh, right now, Brian? Do you you feel okay about my mentioning the company? I love it. Uh, contact me for any of your communications. <laughs> thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you for being here, too. I want to start with a soundbite. Uh, I want to go back to 2018. President Trump, of course, made a couple of visits to Georgia for the midterm uh, elections and for the gubernatorial election here in Georgia. And um, in on one of his visits uh, and during one of his uh, speeches, I guess you'd call them speeches, um, he had this to say. I'm thrilled to be back in this great state that, by the way, 
we won very easily in 60. With thousands of hardworking and wonderful American patriots, and that's what you are. In just two days, the people of Georgia are going to elect Brian Kemp as your next governor to protect your jobs, defend your borders, fight for your values, and continue to make America great again. GPB making reporter Grant Blankenship pulled that soundbite for us tomorrow to remind us of the good old days when uh, President Trump, and of course he was talking about winning in 2016 in the state, which he did. The good old days when President Trump couldn't say enough good things about Brian Kemp. How the times have changed, Tamar. Bill, you don't even have to go back that far. I was at the Cobb County rally that the president did. It was a, a Black Republicans for Trump event, and he was praising the governor. This was at the end of September, saying he was doing a wonderful job, praising David Perdue for helping him pick um, and endorse Brian Kemp. And, of course, now in the last week, you've seen the president tweeting that, that his endorsement uh, was a mistake, and he called the governor hapless. So uh, not so unified these days. Yeah, uh, yesterday we know, we talked about it on the show, just as we were going on the air yesterday, the president uh, sent out a tweet uh, condemning uh, Kemp for not being willing to intervene uh, and um, help determine the outcome of the election here, help give it to President Trump. And the night before, or the day before, in a Fox interview, he said he was ashamed that he'd uh, endorsed Brian Kemp. Um, Brian Robinson, I, l- let me turn to you on this um, first, since, since you are the Republican on our panel. Um, how much damage is this doing to the Republican Party as you look to the Ju- January 5th runoff? Bill, I'll say being the Republican on the panel is always the toughest job when <laughs> questions like that. Uh, I think that— Wait a minute. Uh, I want know, to interrupt you. Why is that a tough question? I mean, you're oh, really smart that- about these things. Yeah, I, I tell you why it's tough, Bill, and I'm, I'm only uh, kidding with you, but it's because the party is so divided, and whatever I say, I'm going to offend a large segment of my fellow partisans. And, you know, I do think anytime you have inter-party battles that are so public, particularly when you're dealing with a leader that has such a fervent following, I mean, you know, look at the power that Trump's endorsement of Kemp had in uh 2018 during that primary. Now, Governor Kemp believes he was going to win anyway. Maybe maybe he would have, but he, don't, he wasn't going to win 70-30. I don't think anybody thinks that. And that's the power of Trump's uh, endorsement and his what his word means to Republican voters. And so for him to come after not only Governor Kemp, but the Secretary of State, and, uh, and I'm sure that the other Republican leaders in the uh, statewide offices won't be immune uh, from from these attacks. It's certainly very damaging. I mean, think about the uh, situation we're facing Saturday. What if Trump comes down here and continues these attacks? Uh, That's the wrong message. The the purpose of him coming down here is to win these two Senate seats. And I think there's a message that he can drive that will be effective, that we need to preserve his policy legacy that we need to stop socialism, uh, and that if we want to keep the Trump achievements on the books, then we've got to have Kelly Leffler and David Perdue there to protect them. Otherwise, it'll be total Democrat control, 
and alerts to the left. And that message is one, Bill, that would be very mobilizing for Republican voters. That's what we need. But any attacks threaten to splinter our coalition, and we don't have any margin anymore, Bill. It's 50-50. If we lose anybody, we lose. If we lose – let me repeat that. If we lose anybody, we lose. And so he's got to have a unifying message. Otherwise, yes, Bill, it's very hurtful to our chances in January. All of our energy should be going to win in those two seats. You know, Andra, it, it's interesting uh, to, to pick up on what Brian is saying. Uh, if the president were to come down here and focus on some of the issues that conservative Republicans believe in, um, pro-life, uh, you know, uh, ACA needs to be uh, undone. We need to get rid of Obamacare. Any number of messages. Uh, the Supreme Court now dominated by conservative voices. Trump having transformed the federal judiciary. These are all messages that if you're a Republican, really can uh, animate voters and get them to the polls. But but the president doesn't seem to want to go that direction, Andra. Yeah, you know, I agree. And I appreciate Brian kind of being as honest and as candid as he's being. Um, you know, unfortunately, President Trump doesn't display the level of discipline most of the time that would be needed to say that. And so I think some people may be uh, bracing themselves for sort of like a pre-version of Festivus where all Donald Trump is going to do is talk about his own grievances and make it all about him. And that's not particularly helpful. And we've seen this happen so much that I am waiting for Republicans want to realize this, to kind of be like Brad Raffensperger and sort of point out the ways that this isn't helpful and then also give themselves distance and actually stand up to, to President Trump and condemn him. Yes, I understand he has a huge following, but he's gotten this following by pandering and lying to people. Sooner or later, a true leader has to stand up and say, this isn't true. Right. And let me explain to you and do that hard work of persuading to kind of bring you along. And, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you win every election. Yeah, Trump is going to you know, notch up some victories. But at the end of the day, if truth is going to win out, you've got to give oxygen to the truth and not give oxygen to the sideshow that this is becoming. So, Mary Margaret, let me bring you in by quoting from Cody Hall yesterday, the governor's press secretary. The governor himself has not come out and responded to the attacks by the president. He yesterday had his press secretary, Cody Hall, a great guy, issue this statement. Georgia law prohibits the governor from interfering in elections. The secretary of state, who's elected, who is an elected constitutional officer, has oversight over elections that cannot be overridden by executive order, which is what uh, Trump said Kemp should do. As the governor has said repeatedly, uh, the statement goes on, he will continue to follow the law and encourage the secretary of state to take reasonable steps, including a sample audit of signatures to restore trust and address serious issues that have been raised. So, uh, Mary Margaret, I, fine statement, but Governor Kemp himself has not come out and, and stood before the microphones and the cameras and said himself, we ran a fair election. I'm jumping ahead, of course, but I'm thinking about the Republican primary of 2022, which is going to be competing uh, competitors of Doug Collins, Brad Raffensperger, and Brian Kemp. I'm watching the three of these gentlemen 
stake their territory in preparation for that event, which will be defined after January 5th and with greater clarity. Brian Kemp, with this issue and with many, many issues, is just trying to stay out of the fray. He's trying to be pablum speaking. He's trying not to look like an idiot, like uh, the Linwood followers, the 700,000 Linwood followers who are told, uh, stay home, all elections are corrupt, there's no reason for you to go vote unless you're going to write Trump in. He's trying to stay away from the fray. Uh, I'm pretty fascinated by that political strategy, but, but more directly in relation to your first question, what's the impact of Trump coming to Georgia? Let me ask Brian, was Trump's highest power in Georgia at the time that he endorsed Kemp for governor, I would make an argument that that was when Trump was at his highest. And ever since then, based on continuing chaos and craziness, not the least of which is what he says on a daily basis about having won the 2020 presidential election, isn't it fair to say that his power is diminishing and the weakening of his power is going to continue, particularly, particularly based on what his behavior we can anticipate will be Saturday, all about him, all about his grievances, and all about how the world is unfair to his, you know, however many millions he does might have left at this point. Uh, I don't know how he can sustain anything beyond the smallest core of his base, the smallest core of the people who are listening to Lynn Wood who truly believe that all of elections are corrupt and only um, President Trump can win because he's a man of God. Brian, uh, Mary Margaret uh, directed that at you. And let me just add before you answer, and then I know that uh, Andre wants to jump in. Uh, yesterday on our show, Jim Galloway pointed out that uh, President Trump on the on the November 3rd ballot underperformed the Republicans in terms of uh, uh, the Republican congressional candidates on the ballot um, by uh, something like 30,000 votes. Not a lot, but he did underperform Republicans running for Congress. So what about this notion that he's he was at his peak back in 2018, maybe into 2019, Brian? Well, you know, I think there's an argument to be made there, but let us not forget he did get more votes in Georgia, raw number-wise, than he did in 2016. His percentage in the state really just changed by one, one to two percent, somewhere in that range. So it, it wasn't a drop off of the cliff. Now, how will Republicans in Georgia and the rest of the country respond long term if this fight continues? I think we'll soon begin to see that in polling. Uh, is this hurting him with voters? I don't know that we know yet. What we do know, historically speaking, Mary Margaret, is I think Democrats and the media have assumed every day for the last five years, going back in 2015, well, that was it for Trump. He finally blew it. He's not recovering from this. And then, boom, it works out for him. It is an absolutely extraordinary record that the people who are with him never leaving, and he's always able to maintain enough support from people who maybe are un uneasy about him. Uh, does this particular scenario change that trajectory? I don't think we know yet. I think January 5th will tell us a lot about it, about what his impact 
is, of course, that'll be open to interpretation, but uh, there is a chance that, that things have changed. You know, polling has shown that 70% of, of Republicans nationally believe the election was stolen or there was fraud uh, and that perhaps Trump really won. That means 30% of Republicans don't believe that. So that is a, a schism through the party that's going to have to be healed and have to be healed quick, whether Trump remains the party leader, which is very possible, or if we move on to the next stage. So I have, I have kind of two points, one related to what Mary Margaret and Brian were talking about, and then something that I, I, I kind of wanted to get in before that. So I can't believe that I'm about to betray my trashy TV viewing habits, like on, um, you know, on, on public radio, but I have watched enough of The Apprentice and enough of The Real Housewives of Atlanta um, to sort of see a potential arc. Um, and what's going on here, and I was bored this weekend, so for some reason I decided to look up, and I got them from Wikipedia, uh, sort of the ratings for The Apprentice over time. And I watched the first few seasons religiously. It was fascinating. I knew folks from college who were contestants on the show. Like, yeah, it was, you know, but I, I, I got bored and I stopped watching. And according to the Nielsen ratings, it looked like a lot of people did, too. So, yeah, those first few seasons when it was a top 20 show, it was one thing. But by the time Donald Trump is running for president, right, its ratings were in the basement, and it was actually probably somewhat doubtful whether or not it was going to end up, like, continuing to be renewed at some point in the future. Um, and I also sort of view sort of the Donald Trump sort of persona that we've seen as being very similar if you watch The Real Housewives of Nene Lake. So, you know, she kind of built a franchise, but after a while you get tired of her being divisive and crazy, and so she's had to go twice now. Um <laughs> And maybe this is where we're headed, and we're just going to have to watch and, and see this play out. But, you know, the other thing that I think is really important is we're all prepared for President Trump to air his grievances and to kind of make Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue a bit of an afterthought, hopefully not as bad as what he did to Martha McSally in Arizona. But, like, I think we're all kind of braced for that moment. But we also forget the reason why he's mad with Governor Kemp is because Governor Kemp isn't giving him a loophole. Governor Kemp isn't giving him an exception to the rule, right? The rules are you get the Electoral College votes if you win the popular vote in the state, right? And so they have the Democratic electors who are expected, you know, sort of tacitly to be faithful to this. And then all of a sudden, he can't get a governor, he can't get state legislatures to basically, like, break their rules because technically some of this isn't written down, right? And if he's norm-breaking, right, this is norm-breaking that's to his benefit and it's not to everybody else's benefit. I think we should remember this is that President Trump, you know, is good for one thing. If there's a loophole, he will find it and stretch it open. But we can't operate our lives, and we can't operate a, a society sort of based on always looking for the exception to the rule and the loophole. Like, there's something about that that's chaotic and selfish and anarchic. And so, uh, yeah, I think we should just be really sort of mindful of what he's mad about. He's mad that Brian Kemp isn't breaking the rules for him. And, like, that's, that's something that we should, we should be highly, highly critical of and concerned about. I want to go back and piggyback off what, what Mary Margaret was saying. You know, I don't have the answer of whether President Trump uh, has already you know, passed his peak in terms of influence with Republican voters, but I don't think it necessarily matters. I still think that he holds enough sway with the base um, to swing a primary. And so that's why Brian Kemp is acting the way he is. Um, who shows up at these primaries? Your, your party faithful, your activists, your diehards, those are Trump voters. And so 
you know, you get a guy like Doug Collins or, or somebody like that with strong name ID to come in and challenge Brian Kemp, that could be lethal for him. You know, they, somebody like Doug Collins has a record. Um, he has an appeal even beyond Trump's um, Trump's base. And so I think that's why you're seeing Kemp kind of refuse or trying to trying to say, hey, I didn't really have a choice here. I'm following the law. I'm, I'm doing what I have to do. Um, and I think it could be enough what Trump is doing to sow doubt in enough minds of Republican voters that that Kemp hasn't been doing a good job, even though, you know, by all accounts, Kemp has, has, you know, done a lot of things that Republican primary voters would be very happy about in his tenure. So um, I want to play another soundbite for you all and get you uh, your reaction to it. Um, You know, Brian's already laid the groundwork for this. There are Republicans who are really fearful that the attack uh, on the voting here is going to suppress the vote in uh, Republican vote in Georgia. So here, Eric Erickson on his WSB radio show, um, remember that Eric started out as an anti-Trumper, ended up finding him, ending up, ended up having a lot to say that was positive about Trump, was critical of him off and on during the first uh, uh, years uh, he was in office. And now, just yesterday, comes down very firmly uh, as a critic of what the president is doing. Just listen to this very short soundbite from Eric Erickson's show yesterday. The president's got a choice. He can either continue this nonsense, and it is nonsense, or he can accept defeat and try to save the Senate to save his legacy. So, Eric Erickson, Brian, uh, I suspect that you... Despite your concerns that you will find yourself in disfavor with some of your Republican friends, I suspect that you wholeheartedly endorse what Eric Erickson said. I think Eric's been very courageous, and he also had a a long Twitter explanation uh, last night that's worth going to look at because it's well thought out. It is uh, not hyperbolic, and it just sort of lays out the case for why we need to move on. And um, I really admire his courage. And I'll tell you, uh, when it comes to courage, we have some profiles in courage award nominees here in the state. I think Brian Kemp is on that list. I think Brad Raffensperger is on that list. Um, They have not buckled to uh, what is horrible criticism and, and I would say unfair criticism. So I think we should be proud to some degree of the courage that our leaders have shown. I'd like, Bill, I'd like to go back to uh, Brian's defense of a position that Trump maintains his power based on him only losing by a small amount. He lost Georgia. If you look at the national map and you see that one blue state down in the southeastern quadrant, it still brings a lot of joy to my heart. He lost Georgia. And the extent to which the the the, the more uh, irrational folks of the party, and I use Lynn Wood again as an example, taking people off to write in Trump on January 5th is evidence of him further losing any credibility with the kind of Republicans I hang out with on a daily basis. We are in such an unusual fact pattern right now. The Electoral College is going to meet, is it on the 14th? Is it two weeks from today? Every single day yeah. that President Trump says something remarkably stupid and and irrelevant to what is a, the law, he has to be losing some credibility. And if he's left with the Linwood followers, 
that's significantly damaging to Kelly Leffler and uh, Senator Perdue. I can't figure out what's going to happen on January 5th. Let me use this example of the alleged 20% of black men who voted for Trump on November 3rd. Now, if you believe it was that high, and I'm, I keep hearing that figure, why in the world would they go back and vote for Kelly Leffler and uh, David Perdue when they have been uh, totally you know, off the page in terms of relevancy by President Trump, who only cares about himself on an hour-to-hour basis? All right, um, Mary Margaret, you get the last word in this segment. Um, you know, when we come back, Brian, you talked about people who deserve perhaps consideration for Profiles and Courage Awards. I, I want to talk about somebody who's flown under the radar and yet has been this re- re- kind of responsible Republican voice in the middle of all that, and that's the lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan. And then I want to go from there to talking about a Kelly Leffler appearance on Fox News on Sunday that really deserves some unpacking. We'll do all that and more after these messages. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Uh, Just because I mentioned WSB Radio a minute ago talking about Eric Erickson, I want to give a shout-out to our good friend uh, Clark Howard, who uh, just announced this morning that after some 30 years of doing his consumer radio show, which has become one of the most, over the years, most popular consumer shows in the country, has decided it's time to stop doing radio. He's still going to do all of his digital work. Uh, Clark is a terrific guy, and I wish him and his uh, wife, Lane Carlock, all the best uh, in at least a semi-retirement for Clark. Uh, We're joined today by AJC uh, senior reporter Tamar Hallerman, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, Emory University political science professor Dr. Andre Gillespie, and yes, Brian Robinson, Republican insider. I honestly do get that it is harder these days to be a Republican coming on this show than either uh, not a partisan at all or a Democrat. And I I really do appreciate uh, when uh, Republicans like yourself uh, uh, come on in a very difficult time. With that said, Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor, has truly flown under the radar in terms of the way he has talked about President Trump and the election over the last month that I'm aware of. He's become a favorite on CNN. He's done Aaron Burnett's show in the evening a couple of times. He was with her last night. He was on their morning show today. And I want to play just a little bit of what Duncan said last night, which is pretty similar to things he's been saying uh, right along. Let's listen to Jeff Duncan. Yeah, I'm very concerned about the amount of misinformation that continues to fly around. I mean, folks in my inner circle that are you know, very educated, very successful individuals sending you a screenshot of a, of a Facebook post or a Twitter post that you know, takes you know, 30 seconds to debunk. I mean, that, that's concerning to me. Tamar Hellerman, how is Duncan, oh, he also, by the way, I should say, keeps talking about we need in the, in the uh, uh, aftermath of Donald Trump's presidency to start thinking about Republican 2.0 GOP. How has Duncan managed to stake out this very different course and uh, not be in the sights of the uh, Trump Republicans? It's pretty fascinating to watch. Well, I guess because he hasn't been in front of the, the television cameras for, for press conferences or something like that, nothing to get on Trump's Twitter feed, but I still 
don't necessarily think he's going to be shielded from um, from the criticism. And let's uh, let's remember back in 2018, he uh, you know he had to go into a, a primary against David Schaefer, who has since become the head of the the Georgia GOP and a, a pugnacious defender of the president. So it's very possible that he could be challenged again by somebody like Schaefer or, or somebody just like him. And and I don't think he's going to escape the the glare of the spotlight. It's only a matter of time. I think Raffensperger is in the spotlight because of you know, the, the count, the recount right now, and obviously the governor being the governor, but I think it's only a matter of time. Brian, weigh in on this. I think that Jeff has been incredibly courageous as well. I'm glad you showed that clip. And, uh, you know, he, he has been lower profile uh, throughout his, he's not somebody who runs the cameras. And I think that's something that makes this all the more extraordinary that he has felt the conviction to go out and speak out and defend the integrity of our election and defend the reputation of our state and have the back of his fellow statewide elected officers. So I think he's emerged as a really responsible voice here to to Mars' point about uh, are there elements of the party that primary the current office holders statewide who have defended the integrity of the election. Is that is that going to happen? Yeah, and, and it might. But I tell you what, Mary Margaret here would just be licking her chops. She would be so excited if that happened because it would divide the party so much that it would make a Democrat win in those seats much more likely in 2022. Um, one thing I've preached on your show, Bill, and in the speeches that I give, is that if you look back, go back to 2010, um, you know, when, when Nathan Deal won the first time, and you go every election cycle then, the Democrats close the margin, like, look, on average about 50, 55,000 votes. So when we got to 2020, it was tied. So if that trajectory continues, and we don't know if it will, but if that trajectory continues, Democrats will have a, a organic advantage going into statewide elections in 2022. So we not only can't have the luxury of being divided and still winning. We've got to be united and better than the Democrat nominees, and we've got to have great candidates. And I would tell you that right now we have some great office holders in statewide uh, uh, positions, Brian Kemp, Jeff Duncan, uh, Brad Rappersberger, Chris Carr, and we need to do everything we can to get behind them and, and to get them reelected. Yeah, but Mary Margaret, I do wonder if Duncan is charting a course to somehow look to the future where he thinks there might be enough of uh, energy for a more moderate Republicans to gain traction in the state and whether that's a losing battle from the very start. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and then get you on this too, Andra. Jeff Duncan is a Forsyth County Republican. And a Forsyth County Republican is going to chart his future based on uh, an after, afterlife, uh, after Trump, that is going to look more rational. If uh, either uh, of the incumbent senator, Republican senators lose January 5th, which is a strong possibility, then it's, uh, it's a totally new game, I think, for uh, Georgia and how the Republican Party redefines itself. I will bet a large amount of money that the next governor of Georgia is going to be Stacey Abrams. And the Republican primary contestants are thinking about her more than anything else, in my guesstimate, in terms of looking towards the future. 
saying that every election is corrupted or stolen is not a future plan to generate faith with voters across Georgia. Uh, the candidates for the Republican 2022 primary, uh, Jeff Duncan, maybe won himself, but uh, the, you have the voices, the, the optics of what uh, Congressman Collins is talking about versus uh, Lynn Wood versus uh, Brian Kemp. Jeff Duncan looks the most rational of all of those folks. I'm not uh, suggesting that it has to be part of a future plan on his part. Also, it's true that he has really, that Brian, I'm interested if you agree with this, he has the best communication skills. I mean, he's a model, handsome young man who does really well on television. Uh, Brian Kemp is more reading his notes and looking down kind of communicator. Uh, Jeff Duncan has taken advantage of an opportunity that CNN is giving him, and he's plotting a course for the future, and it looks good for him. Whether it's really courageous, whether I, it's just plotting a, co a course, uh, I'm going to withhold judgment on that. Andre, you know, I want to get you in. You know, this is something that I've come back to before. Um, President Trump basically has the attention span of a three-year-old and only thinks mm -hmm. about sort of his instant gratification and sort of like what is any immediate short-term interest. There isn't anything, as much as he has grown the party, he hasn't built a party, really. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't have uh, lots of principles, except maybe white supremacy. Um, and, uh, you know, it's basically kind of doing his whim. And that's fine for now. And Donald Trump has been able to get away with it because he was so famous before he became president of the United States. So there are people who want to fashion themselves in the mold of Donald Trump, but they never had a top 10 reality show um, and a real estate empire on which to build from. And even people who are politically connected who do have reality TV ties never had the bandwidth that Donald Trump had. You can't replicate what he has been able to do and so I think the question that the Republican Party has to ask is, what happens when this ride is over? We can't yet predict when the Trump show is going to be over, but it, is, it does have a shelf life. It's going to end. And I think what we're seeing Jeff Duncan do is to think about the fact that he, because of his age, has a career that could go another 20 or 30 years. And he knows that like, he needs to be prepared for that because there's going to be a day where people are going to be held to account for not having stood up to foolishness today. That's only going to yield you short-term gains. So, Tamara, as I bring you in here, let me add this note. Um, so we learned this morning that President Trump has now raised $170 million, uh, which, the, which is allegedly being used to fight court cases about uh, the election results in a number of states. But but in fact, we also know the fine print shows that it's going into a fund that he'll be able to tap into. It's paid off campaign debt, and it's going into a fund that he'll be able to use to form a new organization moving, moving forward. He's already talking about the possibility of running in 2024. So, Tamar, certainly add to what you heard there, but if you wouldn't mind, also this. Um, I think whether Brian Kemp ends up with a significant primary challenge in 2022 is going to have a, a lot to do with how President Trump remains a, 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 the force that he is today in the Republican Party nationally and here in Georgia in the next 
year. Would you agree with that? I agree with that. And I would be curious to see how much he's willing to use this this platform once he leaves office to lift up other people versus um, really just kind of promoting himself. Is he willing, you know, is he going to start endorsing people around the country and, and talking about people who might be able to kind of uphold his legacy? Or will, will it all go into like Trump 2024? Um, and, and I have a question for Brian, actually, and I'm curious, but there's always been fear about, you know, all of these voters that, that Trump managed to awaken in 2016, people who didn't vote for a really long time or, or weren't so sure who he brought into the Republican fold. I know there's long been a fear uh, about whether those voters will again go back and stop voting or um, kind of what happens to them. And I'm curious what you what you make of that group now, given what we've seen, and, and if there is a pathway for things Georgia Republicans could do to keep them in the fold going forward. Um, you know, Senator Perdue has said publicly that when he's out campaigning, he meets a lot of people who are Trump voters, but not necessarily Republicans, not necessarily voters otherwise. Right. And you know, those that group actually was was uh, important in the Republican wins around the country. Now they went in and voted for Trump, and then while they were there, voted for other Republicans. Uh, and then there was another segment of voters who are uh, reliable voters who uh, you know it's a small segment who went in and voted for Biden, and then Republicans down ticket. And those two groups combined made the Republicans outside of the White House race have a fairly good night on the general election evening. So they have become an important part of of the coalition. And Republicans – and this is like Trump coming down and being on the right message and generating turnout when he comes Saturday is so important – is he speaks to those – to that voter group in a way that no one else does or ever has. And it's the challenge of Republicans moving forward to identify those people and to pound them with text messages and mail, just like the Democrats do, and knock on their doors and get them back out and give them a message that motivates them. And and look, politics is one of those animals that's constantly churning and constantly changing. So what has appealed to those voters uh, with Trump? It's got to have to be reinvented. We're going to find a new way to reach them. But that is the challenge that the party faces. Andra, get in a word before we break. Um, so the political science literature actually speaks to this. And, and Brian is right. If people are actually being canvassed and, and people are campaigned to directly and reminded to vote, their propensity of turning out will go higher even in subsequent elections. So if they were kind of just self-motivated and came out and they never had contact with the campaign, they might actually go back. And so what we talk about is just increasing. So if you're a low propensity voter, you might be a slightly lower, slightly less lower propensity voter as a result of, of canvassing. But I mean, I think, you know, it ultimately comes down to field operations. And if they're really touching people, yeah, you, you might have more regular voters now in that group. All right. Thank you. Let me get to our final break of the show. And when we come back, as I say, I want to turn to Kelly Leffler and her appearance on Fox over the weekend. This is Political Rewind. Uh, Amelia Brock sent me a, a notice, a note a few minutes ago that while we are, are on the air, President Trump has tweeted at Brian Kemp again, do something, Brian Kemp. You allowed your state to be scammed. You must check signatures and count signed envelopes against ballots, then call off election. It won't be needed. We will all win. Not quite sure what the 
that last part of that message means, but he's attacking Brian Kemp again. And that leads us into uh, what I wanted to talk about, which was Kelly Loeffler's appearance on Fox. You know, Maria Bartiromo certainly got a lot of attention for the interview she did with President Trump on Sunday. Many people felt that it was a kid glove uh, uh, interview in which she encouraged him to talk about conspiracy theories that he has around the election. Uh, but Kelly Loeffler had a similar experience in many ways. I, I want to start, you will hear here how Bartiromo kind of encourages Leffler to participate in this notion of fraud and then how Leffler seems more than willing to go along with the starting point being uh, Bartiromo's concern that about 900,000 plus people as of the weekend had requested absentee ballots for the January 5th primary. So let's listen. So what about those 900,000 ballots? Stacey Abrams has a ad out right now flipping it from a red state to a blue state saying all hands matter. What are you going to do about those 900,000 mail-in ballots? Where did they come from? Right. Well, that's what we're going to be looking into as we monitor and, and verify these signatures, because Stacey Abrams herself has said that undocumented ballots should count. Folks that are not legal citizens of this country, we are not going to stand for that. Um, Andre Gillespie, look, we always try to be somewhat balanced on this show. I try to give voice to Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians when they're on. But sometimes you've got to call out people who make the kind of statements that she did on this show. What is she talking about, both Bartiromo and Leffler? You know, I, I, I watched uh, the show on Sunday, um, was appalled by what I saw, and I can't remember if it was Senator Leffler or President Trump who accused Stacey Abrams of ballot harvesting because of the 900,000 absentee ballot applications. You know, encouraging people to get absentee ballots is not ballot harvesting. Um, you know, if Stacey Abrams shows up in DeKalb County, where we live, on Memorial Drive with a Santa bag full of, like, you know, completed ballots, all right, we can have a conversation about ballot harvesting um, and whether or not that's appropriate. But encouraging people to request an absentee ballot isn't ballot harvesting at all. And so you're just casting aspersions on the process um, and stirring the pot in this, so that you can elicit sympathy later or at least sort of preemptively come up with an excuse if you lose by explaining that there was fraud that wasn't there. And it was just something in what she said and in what President Trump said, because President Trump said a whole bunch of crazy stuff in that interview if you haven't heard it. Um, that is really, really disturbing, right? That, and that it would go unchecked, and that would go unchecked by somebody um, who knows better. Like, we all know Maria Bartiromo knows better. And there was one point in the interview, and I admit I was cleaning out my, my pantry when it happened, but I came over to the television, and her eyes popped out of her head about 15, 20 minutes into the interview. And so it was just a really interesting tell. Like, I don't know if she had something in her eyes or if she really knew that they were kind of, you know, off on the deep end. Um, and uh, But there's just something that was just deeply irresponsible about both uh, you know, what Senator Leffler was saying. Um, and she also repeated every trope that's been in every ad she's had about Kelly Leffler and, uh, you know, and then what President Trump subsequently said. Mary Margaret, we are a long way from that famous John McCain moment when he called out, out a woman at a rally saying, no, ma'am, uh, Barack Obama is as much a citizen and a patriot as you are. This was a John McCain moment. All Leffler had to say was, uh, absentee balloting is perfectly legal, um, so let's move on to another subject. Accountability is very elusive in politics. I mean, when are politicians accountable for 
really, really bad things, they say. Um, I don't believe my view about accountability is that President Trump's campaign should have ended in 2015 when he mocked the disability of a reporter. Uh, for me, it ended there. So, But he's still unaccountable. And for Kelly Leffler to think that she is credible to the Georgia voter, I mean, the lady from Illinois, is credible to a Georgia voter based on mimicking irresponsible activities is, is not a strategy that I think is going to win her the quote-unquote suburban woman voter. Brian, I want to get you in, but let me say quickly, there may be many reasons why a voter in Georgia would prefer Leffler and Purdue to Warnock or Ossoff, may, based on some conservative values, but that's not what we're talking about in terms of this interview, Brian. No, this is not what we need to be talking about less than, a, well, right at a month away from this runoff. This is not what the message needs to be. And let me clarify one thing because an issue about undocumented people voting came up. Ridiculous. It is illegal for people in Georgia who are not American citizens to register to vote here. And we have strict controls in place in this state because we've had conservative leadership here for 15 years. I was a part of it under the Dill administration, and <laughs> Brian Kemp has been conservative on these issues. Raffensperger is conservative on these issues. Uh, and it just goes to show you how some of these attacks on our election system uh, are, are, to use Jeff Duncan's terms, misinformation, because those things are illegal, and there's no evidence that illegal people were voting. What Leffler and Purdue need to be talking about is the differences between them and the Democrats, the danger of united Democrat control in Washington. They're going to raise your taxes, take away private health insurance, open the borders, uh, put in liberal judges, maybe do away with a filibuster, maybe add D.C. as a state. Those need to be the messages. We need to be looking forward, not backward. And there's a way to do it that incorporates and embraces Trump. And as I said at the beginning of the show, part of the message is conservatives and uh, I would say maybe a slight majority of Georgians uh, agree with much of what Trump accomplished in office. And they want to preserve those uh, victories, and we're going to lose them unless if we lose those two seats. So it is a way of looking forward and putting an arm around Trump in a way that is electorally uh, additive, not subtracting. I think Senator Leffler is casting doubt on mail-in ballots at her peril. Um, we saw that it ultimately hurt Trump on Election Day, that, that he discouraged a lot of his voters from, from voting that way. And Republicans will need mail-in ballots uh, on January 5th. Not only is COVID spiking, uh, but they want to get their, their core supporters out and run off. Those are often elderly voters who are more at risk of, of COVID. The weather is going to be, who knows what the weather is going to be like in January. A lot of people will want to vote mail-in ballot. And I think if, if the party is already concerned about turning off potential voters, but because of all this talk about voter fraud and irregularities, this certainly is not helping. You're adding another layer of confusion and uh, you could dampen turnout. And that's exactly what this election is about. 
Well, obviously, in the weeks ahead, the days and weeks ahead, we'll have a lot more time to talk about what's happening. We'll talk about the Democratic side of this. It's just this week it's been the Republicans that have dominated uh, the news. Mary Margaret, we are really down to the last three minutes, but I, I, and we'll have you back in plenty of time to talk about it in more depth. But since it was in the news yesterday, you've, you have taken up three bills. You've pre-filed three bills for the January session in which you want to give counties more of a say in how cities like Brian Robinson's Brookhaven decide to give tax abatements and other breaks to uh, businesses that come in. And, and it's uh, there are three bills that you think are going to be very helpful to school systems as well as counties in terms of this process. You've got about 40 seconds to give us the first word on this, and we'll talk about it more as the session approaches. I look forward to nerding out with people on tax allegation bond validation here. <laughs> uh, it might not intrigue most, but it intrigues me. And I also want to give a shout-out to Sarah Fuller, who is the co-special teams player of the year. Go Vanderbilt co-eds. <laughs> uh, that's terrific. Uh, but essentially what you're saying in your bill is that cities – should have to work with counties and school systems before giving away tax money that could be used by both the counties and the school systems, right? In my district, there are four cities and three school systems, two independent school districts, and the sharing that tax revenue is a big deal. And how you avoid the General Assembly and how you avoid any elected officials to move the money around away from school districts is an important discussion to have, and I'd like to have it. Uh, at a later time. Thank you. All right. We will talk about that more. Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, always a pleasure to have you on. You too, Dr. Andre Gillespie. And Andre Gillespie, I have to say, I thought today I learned something so wonderful about you. Here you are, this esteemed academic who is so respected for your political analysis, your data work, and you like the Real Housewives of Atlanta. You are a real person. <laughs> I was really glad to learn that about you today. Brian Robinson, thank you for being with us as always. And Tamar Hallerman, you as well. And I'll see you, Tamar, back here next week. Um, we're back, of course, with another show tomorrow. Sam Burmis dawes uh, Amelia Brock, Jesse Neiswanger, and I will uh, figure out what we're going to talk about tomorrow. And I'm sure the show will continue uh, to be discussing these really, really interesting times we're living through. That's it for me for today. Before we leave you, I want to remind you to please take care, stay healthy. I know most of you are wearing masks. I hope you keep doing it. And uh, if you want to do an absentee ballot, now's the time to request one. See you tomorrow. <laughs>